I think this is episode 27 or 26 of Star Mindset's podcast. Today we got an amazing guest. Uh, it's actually the first CEO that I met um, down in a bar in San Francisco called Go and Get Tap Room back in 2017. I, I was totally against tech. The- <laughs> sort of that guy who uh, saw tech and it was just thinking like, who are these new neighbors that are coming into the city and didn't like it as much. And, you know, I bumped into a mill or right at the bar and was like, I don't remember, remember what we were talking about, but uh yeah, man, just started a good conversation, and then like like three minutes later, I found out he was a CEO, and um, you know, he was like really the first CEO I met, and I was like, oh, well, what, what do I do with like this contact card? I mean, you know, what can we do from here? And like, yeah, I've just been following his journey since that, and you know, it was pretty amazing just seeing uh, an entrepreneur just grow a business from like uh, <laughs> like from nothing really. That's how it all starts, and you know, uh, seeing them you know raise like twenty million um, and get get somewhere that's uh, impacting the world is pretty pretty uh what do you call that uh great and just uh hard to hard to sometimes but uh yeah i mean emil happy that you're here man Man, yeah great great to be here thanks thanks for the invite man when when i got the invitation that reminded me of how we met you know just joking around uh watching a game at the bar and uh just a random meeting and and, then i'm glad we kept in touch so it's good to be back yeah absolutely um so you're the ceo or you're the founder and ceo co-ceo or of, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm the CEO, of co-founder and, and CEO of Blue Dot. Yeah. For sure, yeah. I think uh, it'd be great to just learn about, um, well, I know Blue Dot's a geofencing company, right? And a location services company, but kind of like in your, um, I guess, in your explanation, how do you define what you guys are? And- definitely, yeah. So, so we definitely started as a geofencing and location company, and that's a pretty interesting founding story. What we've kind of really evolved into is really a customer experience platform for on-the-go consumers. So imagine anybody with a mobile device in their hand traveling throughout the day. They want to buy something from a restaurant, buy something from a retailer, gas, convenience, whatever it is. Um, We're the glue that brings that transaction together. So we understand the person's location and we deliver a whole lot of value for somebody that uh, has maybe ordered ahead and is arriving at a drive-thru or is going to pick something up. And we handle that entire customer journey. And so we use location to enable it, but ultimately it's really about that customer experience and zero contact transaction that sits on top of it for restaurants and retail. For sure. Yeah. And uh, some of the restaurants you guys have in the, um, I guess, customer, customer event base are uh, McDonald's, Red, Red, Red Rooster, and like a couple of those. Uh, Dunkin yeah. Dunkin'. Yeah, definitely. Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, et cetera. We've got a, a few shopping malls in the U S and, um, uh, and a number of quick serve restaurants. Um, uh, you know, Phil's coffee out in the Bay area, uh, a few of those, those, uh, really, uh, great brands uh, that, uh, that are customers. And so we're purely B2B and we license our software to them and we integrate into their, their app or into their website. And then we handle all of that kind of location and, and customer experience on top. Sure. Yeah. So, so as a, I guess like as a business, um, like say I'm a franchisee of a McDonald's or something like that go into the hands of the, the prospective like prospective um, customers or like their their kind of like clientele like do they based off the location like once they're nearby it something pops up is that well, well well I'll tell you what we're doing with say Dunkin Donuts as an example um, I think a lot of this is um, we were doing this before COVID but you know the pandemics had such an impact on the economy as everybody knows and what's happened is that all of these businesses have gone to zero contact you know, used to sit inside of a restaurant and eat, used to go into a retailer and buy something. Instead, everything's closed up and all of those customers have to go through order ahead. They have to go through drive-through, curbside pickup, some other way of doing it. Like, but what that means is, what's that mean? 
like like via DoorDash or like an Uber Eats? Is that exactly like all of these solutions, right? What what does it tell you? It means that the center of gravity has shifted to the consumer with a phone in their hand, and they're off premise. They're sitting on their couch. They're sitting in their car. They've got the phone in their hand, but almost all of the experience now is happening there. And so the brand, like Duncan, has to reach them earlier, communicate with them, build that relationship. And then when somebody places that order, when they get to the uh, to the store, we tell them exactly when they're arriving. And if you hit the drive-through, as an example, you don't even stop. Your food's ready. They greet you by name. It's zero contact. It's a great experience, and and it's uh, and it's safe to do right now with the pandemic. So that's that's what we enable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's super fascinating and interesting. I mean, um, can you talk to us a little bit about the geofencing and location services market in general and just kind of like um, how has it changed maybe in the last year? I know there's a lot of more growth, right? But like what are you experiencing and like what's like... Um, yeah, it's, it's such a good, good question because we, we call it kind of like the, the end of the Wild West in location, right? Like the location could be many things, right? It could be like Google Maps. It could be kind of uh, geofencing. It could be... Um, a whole bunch of visualization around uh, around locations. There's, there's a ton of things. It's a big industry. But really what happened was there was a whole bunch of players that didn't care about privacy. They just sucked up as much data as they could and they used it for third-party advertising. So what's happened in the last couple of years is that uh, Google and Apple have pretty much put a stop to that. Yeah. Right? So it's a lot more transparent control from the consumer. And there was a whole bunch of stuff around privacy that a lot of people have seen in the market. There's been a lot more focus on it. And then now COVID's hit and nobody cares about the marketing use cases. They just care about the zero contact pickup. Sure. And so what that means is that all the kind of fringe players that were just collecting up as much data, they're out of business. And the ones that are left are really focusing on high value use cases like contactless pickup for, for businesses. So the shift has been more to first party rather than third party data. It's something that the consumer benefits from. They can see and feel and they share their data as a result. So. For sure, yeah, that's that's great to. Yeah. Um, can we also talk a little bit about how your guys' uh, I guess technology falls into their, their hands? Like, do you go through? I mean, like a big CRM or like how's it? How's it? Is it? I mean, so if somebody's like Dunkin', if I'm Dunkin' Donuts and I'm trying to be a part or be a user, um, does it work as uh, you give us an SDK and it just falls into like the? Uh, yeah. Yeah. How does it get adopted there? Yeah. Huh? So, so we're, we're a SaaS company, so everyone buys from us kind of like any, any other SaaS company. But mm. really how we do it is that we integrate an SDK into the app or we've got components inside the website or text messaging. There's a whole bunch of ways that we interact with the consumer. Sure. And really all, what it's really about is about understanding where they are at a critical time really accurately and then updating that journey. And then when they arrive, what we've done on top of this really like the underlying tech's amazing. Like it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. I can go into that as well. But what we've done is we had to make it easier to consume the tech, easier to use the data, to make it uh, available to the employee and the customer and to action it. So what we've done, you know, since the last time we, we met, we built a whole bunch of products that sit on top of the data. We got screens inside the store. Uh, we've got two-way communication with the consumer. We've got um, curbside kind of check-in. We've got a whole bunch of stuff that uh, we have today and, and, and a great roadmap of products that sit on top of the tech and, and we sell as kind of SaaS as part of the SaaS packages. So would you say that the, the problem and I guess the solution that you're providing is more of that, I mean, not, not, it, was, it wasn't necessarily like designed for like a pandemic, right? But it's just more like convenience and like rapid use and like, 
I mean, more value to the business and, you know, they, like, I guess like they, they, they know like how to better serve the customers and how, like work, work through that. Yeah. But what is it? Yeah. So if, if you look at it from the consumers angle, we always start from there because it's their data. It's the, they're the one that's in control. You know, the fact that, you know, they have so many different ways to interact with a brand now, right? Um, they can do it on web, on mobile, on native voice, in car, whatever it is, uh, Alexa sitting inside their house, right? There's a whole bunch of different ways that are designed for the convenience of the consumer, right? And they're in control and one day they'll pick one and the other day they'll pick another, right? And so how does the company that is trying to engage them, how do they handle that? You know, that's pretty complicated, right? So you have to respond to all of those different channels and you have to make sure that they're having a good experience, that the brand's there, that they're getting value across all those different channels. And so mm -hmm. that, that's where Blue Dot comes, right? It doesn't matter how you do it. Ultimately, we yeah. understand you're going from point A to point B. You're one person, you're not consumers in general. You know, we get it down to that one person and we're trying to deliver a lot of value to you at the point that you need it and the rest of the, the time just power down. And so when you place an order and you've got to go pick it up, you know that's a really important time for the person. And so we kick into gear there, we deliver a lot of value, we accurately understand where they are, they can pick up the food safely, so there's kind of no sanitary or, or health issues. And it's great for them. And then for the business, it's quick, it's, you know, the drive, the throughputs through the roof, and they're able to um, kind of just accelerate uh, a lot of those tech decisions that they were making over the next five, 10 years, they yeah. had to do in like a year. So we're like, hey, don't worry, it's software only. We just deploy it. <laughs> it's done overnight. So let's let's um, come into that conversation since uh, yeah. uh, the pandemic has made. Um, I mean, indoor dining is not allowed, right? So it's, it seems like there's like this. That's the only option in a lot of places or in in the world. Yeah. What do you think those businesses are like kind of considering when it's like we might go out of business? Do we adopt this new technology? And like, how does that ten year decision get like kind of made and a month or like however long. Yeah. Well, well, if you go back to when uh, COVID hit, everything shut down, almost all the restaurants shut down. And yeah. that meant that the franchisees were going out of business, the consumers couldn't go buy anything, the employees would lose their jobs, right? And then what started to happen was that the ones that weren't tech focused, the ones that maybe weren't financially as well run, they, they unfortunately went out of business. And then the ones that were left were having to kind of transform uh, how their operations work using new technology. And so these were things that were kind of slowly happening anyway. And so they kind of knew they had to get there eventually, but they had to accelerate it because of COVID. And so as an example, what do you do when 70% of your customers used to sit inside of your restaurant and now they can't do that, but you've only got one lane of a drive-through or two spots for a curbside pickup, right? You've got to put hundreds and hundreds of customers through, the through, those, kind of new, through those new contactless lanes without actually changing the physical footprint of the store because you can't knock down the walls, right? And so so that's where the software comes in. Understand who's ordered ahead, understand where they're going to arrive so the food's ready, add them to the queue, make sure it's all ready to go so they can fly through that transaction um, without having to stop effectively. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I remember asking you what the company was like four years ago. I couldn't couldn't figure it out, man. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was struggling too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, talking about that, what was version one of the company? Like, was it the same product? And it just so happened that you know, when COVID hit, the product demand just shot up or it was different before and then it kind of changed in the middle and then you just found like this interesting niche during the COVID time. 
Uh, so we, we had changed before COVID and we were doing this and then the market blew up. But um, so we were mm. kind of doing what I described already, which was fortunate. But what it, the 1.0 of the company was, was pretty different. It's actually pretty interesting. Like when we, when we started the company, it was, had nothing to do with restaurants, nothing to do with, with any oh. of this. Yeah, it was, it was really, um, uh, we looked at transport and we said, hey, you know, when somebody's driving, they have a lot of transactions they do. And especially toll roads, you know, in the Bay Area, you got fast track on the East Coast, you got easy pass, right? You drive through a toll road and you have to pay for it. And everybody hates that experience. You know, you got a device that's stuck to the windshield, you got all of this infrastructure outside. And we said, hey, why don't we, what does your phone just understand where you are and handle the payment? And so we started to work on that. And we realized the really hard part was understanding the location of the person. Right? And so we built this like, that's why the tech works so well, because we had to, we, we started building it for like one of the toughest scenarios where you've got somebody that's driving a car, maybe a hundred miles an hour, and you have to work out their location down to a lane of a road and then trigger a payment without them touching the phone for safety. And so when we did that, you know, like it's really, really tough. And then when we did that, that's launched now as part of EasyPass. Um, uh, you can download our client's app, our software's embedded, you drive through your credit cards on there and we just take care of the payment when you drive through. So that was successful, but then we were just like, oh man, that sales cycle is gonna kill us. Like if we have to go through that wow. again, <laughs> that, that took us years, years to do. And so we like, looked around and said, okay, what else can we do? And then naturally over time, we started to work with restaurants and retailers and, and, and other companies that still have consumers who are traveling, who are on the go, but it's a little bit easier to sell to than transport and infrastructure. Um, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I'd love to talk about is, um, what was it like building the company, right? Like, um, I remember, you know, I guess, listening to other podcasts and just kind of just uh, watching this kind of from, afar or like just hearing about it uh what, what was it like man just uh you know i know you had this idea back in 2013 and hate to rewind the clocks but uh did you think this would be where you guys were gonna be at in the uh, eight years or so? no 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 definitely not. we thought it was gonna be much much quicker we thought it'd be like <laughs> two three years and we'd you know have a have a like exit on tech crunch and we'd be uh doing the next thing you know so, um, so <laughs> it definitely took long you know like i think that's pretty common because you always see those headlines uh, but then the the actual average life of a startup is more like us right um and and so like for us it's been a great experience overall you know we've had like the best experiences of our lives and then kind of like the toughest ones as well you know so it's definitely been kind of both ends of it but ultimately when you're creating something from scratch when you have this idea that literally doesn't exist before in you're saying, hey, I'm going to transform this massive industry that, you know, has 30-year infrastructure investment and doesn't understand mobile and, and, and you know, is starting from a very different place. And, and as two founders, you go at that and you do transform that industry and move it to mobile. Like, that's exciting. Like, when you, when you do that, something like that, it doesn't matter how much pain you have along the way, you know, you, you stop and enjoy that. Um, and then, like, more recently, it's been so nice as we changed and evolved and my role as CEO has changed, you know, from being a founder that does everything to gradually becoming more and more of a CEO that can tell the story about the industry, build a team, support the team, get everyone aligned and, and really excited. Yeah. And then when, you know, yeah, when you battle something like pandemic, like the COVID as a team and you get through it, you know, with flying colors, <laughs> like, you know, that, that just makes you really proud. You know? What, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, there's like so much, I guess, data within seven to five, seven, like eight years and sort of like a time frame. I mean, you're, can't you're get... killing me with this eight years thing, Dan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And I know the country, Australia. Uh, let's talk about how it was for you moving all the way from Australia to San Francisco and how did that alter the direction of the company and like maybe your development or like my life yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah no no it was, it was uh, good like I, I think that the two halves of the the company in a lot of ways one was the kind of first few years where we we're doing stealth mode and focusing on the toll roads and doing a lot of r&d you know created a portfolio of like seven patents and did a whole bunch of like really interesting stuff then when we raised the first few million dollars of kind of seed capital we were able to expand to the u.s and eventually raise more hire a team there i moved there permanently and then we flipped and became u.s headquartered and then since then we've raised you know a few other rounds uh, you know a couple of institutional rounds lately and um and so that's that's been a really good experience i think ultimately like when we look at the company you know there's no doubt as good a market as australia is there's almost no market in the world especially for our space like the u.s was it was that all i mean what was that what was that like man just going global right like i mean that's yeah oh yeah you know it's not it's not just <laughs> yeah 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 um that that part was like we were like from literally day one we were just like this thing's got to be global like we've got to go swing for the fences on this one right um and it's just like we never had any other ambition like we just almost like from the first days we knew we had to get to the us we knew we had to make the software available to customers everywhere um and so that was just always part of the game plan and then it was just a matter of the, the practicalities of, of executing against it and so you get like you know all the stuff now that i look back where you know you've migrated to a new new country and huh. you're just finding your feet you know you don't know anybody you literally have almost no business contacts there let alone social contacts and like that can be challenging at the best of times but then you're trying to run and grow a business and you just don't have time for any of that and you just gotta push through and so yeah it was it was fun it was really fun but you know you, you gotta just perseverance was really important in those first couple of years yeah, do you, th- do you think that um, you had that in your DNA just to overcome some of that, um, I guess, hurdles? And I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not simple, right? Like, if I were to move to, like, Europe or something, that would be a huge pain in the ass or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I think that, you know, uh, wouldn't say, like, DNA as such. I know you're saying that kind of generally, but, like, more in terms of, I guess, what you experience as a kid, right? Like, you know, migrant family, everybody's work, working, you know, so you've already been dislocated from a country once, sometimes twice, and then you go do it again. And, uh, and you've just seen your, your parents kind of hustle it uh, nonstop from when you were a kid. So you just kind of For sure. don't know any other way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about, uh, you know, you being a kid. I mean, tell us more about, like, you know, uh, maybe a time when, in the younger years on, you know, how did you at least cultivate or discover, like, this, entrepreneurial bug just because we would notice with the number of founders that we talked to in our in our show it, there was a little bit of a moment or at least some background that kind of plump pushed them towards this direction uh, any anything yeah. that kind of happened in the younger years that you want to share with the audience yeah yeah no there, there was kind of a few a few of those like little memorable things that i think helped me along the way you know um, I think that like helping my parents with a small business when I was a kid and like my, you know, in- English being, you know, what it was um, growing up in Australia, I was able to do parts of the business and help out. So that was, that was always interesting seeing kind of the ups and downs of that. And then I remember like a couple of those moments that you're asking about where you're in school and I don't know, just negotiating something or you're, we, we, you know, you're like in primary school, you're a kid and you're, you're like chatting to the kids and, and it just comes, there's always some, some sort of kind of, 
um, little business or, or kind of little project that you do and, and it comes pretty easily and it kind of motivates you to the next one. So there are all those kind of like little businesses that you set up as a kid that, that got, helped me along the way. For sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have anything similar. I think I've just always been a creative person and just wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I think really for me it's normal to have all these small business as a kid, but most <laughs> kids I don't think have small businesses. So it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Emil. Yeah, a- yeah, yeah I, think, I think it'd be cool to just, uh, I, I mean, talk about something like off top. Or, I mean, um, so I, I, I uh, what's it called? I found out on another podcast that you did, like a casual poor one. You were talking about going to Sedona and Arizona, and I guess just effect of nature and, and how it like helped your thought process. I think that I guess uh, running a business is just so stressful in the first place. Like, why would anybody do it? But um, I guess you had talked about uh, going out in nature and like having that nature, I guess, be like a like a power up for you, like and maybe like your team, like. How did, that, how did that happen? And like, what's an uh, uh, impression of uh, just kidding? I yeah, mean, for sure. Like uh, I like grew up as a city kid, right? Like I didn't have much, uh, I didn't go out into nature very much. And, and so the last two, three years have really kind of, that's kind of changed my life, to be honest, you know, having that kind of new exposure and kind of like a kid going out there and, and kind of exploring it all. So there's one part of it that is like, you know, finding a thing that is outside of, the business that's out of outside of the social interactions and you're there and just kind of, you know, it helps restore you physically, mentally, you know, there's just obviously something really calming and beautiful and integrated in nature that you can't really get anywhere else. Um, and so there's just that natural relaxation and restoration. And then there's the, the other part, which was like when I went to Arizona um, and that was my first, first time there and I'd never seen yeah. anything like that, you know, like Sedona with, with a huge red rock, you know, uh, you know, tall rocks and, and, and the cliffs that kind of stick out and all that. And you just stand there completely blown away. And then the reason I was there was just something that I'd learned as a founder over the three or four years before, where it's like, man, like at the end of every year, you know, you're, you're putting so much into it that you're completely exhausted. Like, you know, at the end of, especially the early years, you know, before you learn how to regulate it all, um, especially if you're a first time founder, which I was. Um, and so you're getting to the end of the year and, and you've done everything you wanted, but you know, you're, you got to take care of yourself as well. And, and I found that it was like really important to be able to take time out and approach the problems of the company and what I want as an individual and what my role as a founder and a CEO and all of those things, right? What, what personally satisfies me, what motivates me, you know, what could I have done better in the way that I manage the company? And you can't do that day to day. You can't do that sitting at your desk, like in between emails, right? Like you just got to get completely outside of the normal, environment it doesn't matter if it's for three hours or three weeks you know um, you just gotta be able to do it and so that's what that I was planning like the next step up for myself and the company and then the ideas just flow once you're in that environment right yeah it's, it's, it's interesting how you say Arizona and Sedona I think we're, well, we're starting the book with a I guess like kind of an allegory that I went to Grand Canyon last year and so mm. man just like oh shit like I'm tired of the city man I need to get out of here yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was, yeah, I think I came back just thinking differently or like feeling differently. And I think it's important to, yeah, I mean, just have an open mind to, to begin with. And I think that's the value there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you guys were able to secure a Series B with Autotech Ventures and um, Transurban and like some, some good people, right? And I, I think that, I guess, like startup fundraising and, and fundraising and even sales in general, I think that whole thing is... Um, 
kind of where people bump into like the, the big wall of things like but uh for you like when you were fundraising did you ever think like this or did you ever like um i guess just think about uh what if we never raised the money and like what would we do in that situation and types of things yeah yeah oh man uh it's been uh our cap raising has been uh an intense and wild ride like i feel like i've been cap raising for eight years like non-stop pretty much um <laughs> you know p- part of it is you know we were creating new tech that you know uh, you got to let the market catch up so there was a bit of that you know we were coming from australia first time founders or all of those things you know enterprise sales it's hard to to project the data sometimes on kind of large enterprise sales so there were all those challenges but you know there are many times where we were kind of you have to look at all options and including what happens if it fails, right? Um, but then um, quickly kind of convert that into energy, right? <laughs> and then and do it. And, and I think that one of the biggest things, you know, given that, you know, a lot of people listening are either just started a company or want to start a company, you know, one of the most important things just tactically when you're cap raising is that it is, especially at the beginning, it's a numbers game until you know who you want to raise from and obviously be as targeted as you can but don't rely on one or two options. You've got to have a lot of options there because like any deal, it doesn't matter even with the best intentions, they can fall through. So until the money's in the bank, you've got to keep a whole bunch of options running in parallel. Okay. Right? Um, and not just investors from you know, government grants, loans, whatever it is, right? Um, more revenue, pulling revenue forward, all those things, right? So that, there was that. Um, and then for us, it was just like, you know, especially early on before we started to refine the story, you know, when you're getting... You gotta have, you gotta have some. I call it like founder amnesia, right? Like where you get like two hundred no's in a row, and you're like, now nah, I'm gonna go do it again. I just gotta change the story a little <laughs> bit. Like, and so, and so there's a little bit of that. You gotta kind of forget what it felt like before. <laughs> what was it like, man? Just when I guess Autotech gave you the the money, right? Like you get Autotech Ventures is a good one. They, they funded Lyft. Like I mean, just like yeah, once that success hits, and like you, you know, you feel like. You're like, you got the monkey off your back type of thing. What, what's, what's it like? I mean, yeah, there's, you know, that was our first, our second institution round. The first time was with stri- strategic corporates. The second time was with our first VCs. And that, that was a great experience, you know, being in the Valley and, and closing a VC round is, is great. Um, I think generally, you know, there's few things, it depends what you're like, what you're really passionate about. I think for me, one of the really fun and exciting times in a business is like, you've done all this work. And until you get a signature on the paper and until the money's in the bank, it's not kind of done. And then when you do it in a big sale or uh, um, in an investment, like that's really satisfying because you've got like the, you know, if you think about it, that signature on the paper pulls together so many elements of the business, right? You created a product and you convince somebody that they can use it. You've sold it to them. You've delivered it to them. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you've got an investors to back you as well. And so all of that's like super exciting and really rewarding. And then, then you've got the resources to do the next stage, right? Like you are, that is when you put the foot down again, you get creative, you go to Arizona and you plan the next, the next stage and, and, and you go again and just try to elevate your own role and elevate the company. And so that's where, where it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's really satisfying. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Quick, quick question here. Uh, I guess when you were doing that, right, you brought up like pitching 200 people and like, I think that, and any when anyone's kind of, I mean, I guess we could use the word failure. Like whenever when anyone struggles that much, I mean, maybe it's not a struggle to you, or like, I guess just that whole process, man. Like, did did you like? What do you think changed the change change, or what do you think? Um, 
made everything come together? Was it like you changed your mindset or like, what do you think just happened? Like, was it more traction or like you, you <laughs> did, did it's yeah, completely like, like, like it's like this, uh, you know, creative destruction type thing where you're just like, you know, if, if you just keep doing the same thing and you're getting the nose, obviously you gotta, you gotta change it up a little bit. Right. And then it's always relative to the stage of the company. You know, some of the things that I'm putting in place now with the team, they're like, we just couldn't have done it two years ago or three years ago. You know, you need the resources, you need the team around you, you need to understand what the customer wants, all of those things. And so it's just that process of constantly like leaving those meetings or leaving that disappointment being like, self-aware as to what you need to change and sometimes that's about how you're presenting it sure. sometimes that's about the fundamentals in the business or the story you're telling but it's just that constant refining 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 until you get to the one that, the one that sticks <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> and i guess the question for me is so we're, we're, we're some part of our book talks about resilience and just general like kind of not giving up like getting all these no's and again sometimes we read this but you know, even as a founder myself, just getting a lot of no's from VCs that, you know, to tell your story. And, you know, it seems that they're always like, you always, they always make you feel that they want to, you know, hang out with you. But in the end, like, it's a no. It's a, no. how do you kind of deal with this like emotional roller coaster of like highs and lows and more lows than highs, right? Uh, yeah. Especially in yeah. the fundraising side, just because it, it's a little bit more also um, a lot in stake because there's, you know, your company's future is also in kind of an investor's hand generally, right? Yeah. Well, that's the only, for me, that's really the main source of stress, right? It's not the no itself. It's not that personal conversation. It's not being rejected in that meeting. It's more about, hey, what is, hey, we've got a deadline here and we've got to get this done. There's a lot of risk and there are people that depend on you. And so you want to do well. But for me, it's kind of like, you know, focusing, for instance, right? Like there, there are a few things uh, that I do. You know, when somebody says no, you know, you're, you still use your judgment as to why that no is, right? Is it maybe it's not their area. Maybe they were too quick to judge. Maybe, um, you know, there are some changes that you need to make to your business or you're too early for their fund, right? So there's no can, you know, once, once you break down the no, there could be 10 reasons. And then when you look at most of those reasons, it's hard to take those personally, you know, like it's they're just factual or, or contextual, right? So I think like really taking the time to take the emotion out of it and just assess what why that that's happening i think that's the main thing the second is man your the motivation and the determination needs to come from a different source right like you cannot come from that external person validating the that's giving you the yes or the no or that one customer that's bought or not bought as nice as that is ultimately you know that motivation to like get through and let that uh, founder amnesia kick in just has to come from in, like <laughs> internal motivation right? and you have a bad day and then the next day, you start like with me and my co-founder joke around. It's like, man, 24 hours is a long time in a startup. You know, you could have the worst day and the best day back to back. Sometimes in the same day, you know. Man? It's so you just take the wins when you can, and you just keep moving. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's uh, something. Uh, yeah, I think like I needed here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you don't have a choice, right? You just got to keep doing it. And then you're <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what <laughs> you feel like. You just got to get the job done. So yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think one, one more thing we could talk about, or if, like, maybe a couple of things here. Um, you you weren't originally the, or you weren't the architect behind the product, right? And what came first, the product or the company, or was it the company? Uh, so um, we were like my co-founder helped create a lot of the technology and product. A lot of the IP comes from him. He's just like 
brilliant when it comes to solving those really tough technology problems, like, you know, um, in, in a really creative way. And so he created a lot of that, that kind of uh, the foundations of the company. You know, we, we had a company at the beginning from day one, but really what it was, was the technology, you know, that, that really was where we started. Um, and so um, that was so important to have that defensible, really exciting product that underpinned everything. And then over time, we had to evolve to productize it more. So it's more of a product rather than technology. And then to put the sales and marketing around it, the customer success around it. It's the layers on top of it that we've evolved into over time. Mm-hmm. And the quicker you can do that, the better it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, uh, um, so I guess in the early, I mean, just throughout the whole time there, you were, I guess your work as a CEO mainly focuses on like the businesses as, as a whole from everything. But um, I guess just me, I'm not an engineer, right? And like, I guess Earl's engineer, but not software engineer. So, <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like uh, as a non-engineer, that's a CEO and I guess in charge of like a 50 person team. Like, did you feel like you needed to be an engineer? Or like, did you feel like you're missing out? Engineer, like what was, yeah, you, you, you don't need to be an engineer, but it's your company. You know, if you don't know your own technology, your own product, like then, you know, you're not doing it properly. Like it's as simple as that. It's, you don't, you don't need to be the best engineer in the room to understand the technology you've built and the limitations. And you definitely don't need to be an engineer to ask the right questions or to identify the choke points or the risk points or the impact on the customer or how that technology translates to some outcome for your customer, you know, some value. So it's all those things. It's more like, hey, can you, you know, sometimes there were, there were times where I'm, I'm there, it's like a really tricky engineering question. It was just, just me managing this situation. And, and I didn't know the answer, but I asked about 50 questions in a row until, until I felt like we collectively had the right answer, right? So it was just more digging and digging and digging, you know, so. Yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And plus, you know, we, we were in the Valley, right? Like we met Bay Area. Like you're going in there and selling to CTOs, you're selling to VPs of engineering, right? Okay. Who, you know, uh, no tech inside out. And so you've got to be able to talk fluently with them. You've got to be able to kind of take what they're giving you and translate it to, um, you know, some roadmap or some next step and then kind of restate what they're saying in, in, term, in business terms and drive that relationship forward, you know? So you just got to do it. For sure, yeah, that... that- I mean, the answer to the question. Um, do you have anything else, or, or I don't know. No, no, no. I mean, I think we should. I mean, I, I would love to know more about, like, you know, your own startup mindset and how you kind of would verbalize that. I mean, in one to two sentences, if someone asks you what your what your startup mindset is, what would that be? It's interesting in one to two sentences. I think what it I would do differently and what it is now is more about starting small on the product and finding the customer mm-hmm. that needs it and then building the business around it rather than creating a bunch of stuff. a large solution that then the market needs to catch up to so i think that's one way of thinking about it you know taking your time narrowing down on the problem is important and then the second one is Hey, you know, like in my startup mindset um, is really about kind of humanizing the experience in a startup, right? Technology can be a little bit cold and impersonal. Running a business is tough and everybody's stressed and the team's trying to do more, more with less every day, you know, so kind of treating everyone like humans, giving everybody some cover to 
feel and grow and kind of evolve in their own roles. You know, I think that's a really great part of um, a business with a good culture and the team that we built. And so I think that's been something that has been really special for me, you know, how you add a human touch to a group of people that are coming together to do something in tech. Yeah, yeah, man, you you definitely got a lot of the uh, elements of like, uh, how do I phrase this? Like just somebody who was just a good person, dude. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. you know, my original impression of like CEO, like back in the day was somebody who's rich and kind of just, I don't know, bosses people around, right? And like, that's kind of the yeah, kind that was of my impression too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it literally was. So it was like, you kind of, we all get taught of this kind of the, the leader, CEO, the lion that just stands at the tri- you know, at the front and kind of, takes all the hits and, and, and orders everyone around, but that's just not how it works today and definitely doesn't work in tech. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the, the second question and my last question here is, yeah, if you had to give advice to your 20-year-old self, what would that be? I mean, if you were standing yeah. in front of you, right? <laughs> what would yeah. you tell him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it's always an interesting question. Right? You know, you're getting older when uh, you get that question as well. Um, the, I'd say probably like, um, two things right um the first one is instead of diving just headfirst in in one direction or the other right really narrow down on the, the fundamentals right like if you don't know exactly the product or who the customer is inch towards it get close to it ask questions you know work somewhere that's relevant work with teams that are relevant use products that are relevant and find the gaps and then build you don't have to build first you can edge closer and that can save a lot of time in the long run you know a little bit of slow and steady at the beginning can save time the second thing i think is kind of what um, dan you just talked about right one of the biggest things i learned right i had to break my own concept of how to be a manager and a leader right i used to be like it was funny i, I try to protect the team right but it's like at the time there might have been like five people or ten people there right and so it's a startup you're all in the trenches together you know the good and the bad you know that that sale didn't come through or you didn't you know close that investor and there's no point kind of shielding it and then when you let your guard down and be like, now it's like all about radical transparency in the company and that transparency builds the resilience because all of a sudden people see it and then they're not shocked by bad news, but also they have an ability to contribute to solving for it or to improving the business. And there's just a lot of buy-in. So I'd say that's my, like by far one of the biggest things I've learned. Yeah. I think you mentioned on casual poor that that was sort of like the baggage element or like the legacy element, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think just to touch on that for a second or, um, I think that even applies to like other things in life, right? Like the relationships and like I was reading, I finished, I finished a book yesterday called everything is fucked. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, kind of uh, spoke about how humans are like the only species to process the past and like have the past and like, I don't know, just really affect our emotional, like, uh, yeah. To uh, carry it with us all the way forward. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, do you think yeah. you turned off your, like, I don't know. Just, do you think you turn, to, to be radical, radically transparent, like, what did you do? Like, did you... Uh, yeah, so just, they're kind of re- related, but but slightly different things in a way, right? Like, you know what, what that kind of letting go of the baggage part was, is that, I um, mean, you have to be transparent to do it, but it's like when you, when you have a big event as a company, you've closed the round, you've closed the customer, there's some step change in the business, it might just be the end of the calendar year, whatever it is, right? And the, the company, and especially last year with COVID, right? The team's gone through so much stuff in the past year all those sales that didn't go through, the, the tech issues that they were dealing with, all this, right? All of that is legacy, right? And that legacy slows the team down. It kills motivation. Um, it makes people kind of tired and a little bit cynical of the process. And it kills, kills creativity. 
right? And so as one of my biggest things that I've learned is that I've got to draw a line under the sand and say, hey, guys, this was the good, bad, and ugly. Let's embrace it. Let's celebrate it. Let's commiserate, right? But then let's move on mentally and not let those decisions, uh, those experiences affect what decisions we make completely. You know, you learn, obviously, you know, the data points and learning, but don't let it kill your creativity or ambition either. And so that, you know, is is was a really interesting experience and you could feel you know you know when you feel your team you know the people you work next to they're dragging a little bit or you know they've been they've taken a few hits you know with a, like a, a big deal or a, or you know a new product release and you just like have to freshen kind of refresh everything and and keep going does that does that just happen it doesn't happen overnight right it takes a week i mean it takes time right it it, it does you know it it's part of it is um, it doesn't have to take forever, but it, you can't do it in one one go either, right? Like, so generally, you know, something like that might take a few weeks of, hey, you might have an event, the team event and an all team meeting and, a, you know, a couple of conversations and all those things. And you keep, uh, I guess, reinforcing that. And a big part of it is literally like the retrospective and the celebration. So one, one thing we do is like, if we lose a, a big customer that we thought we were going to win or something like that happens, yeah, um, good, good or bad, we do a retrospective, right? It's not to point any fingers, but it's just, hey, what did we learn from this? Yeah. You know, let's, let's come around, like put your arm around each other and like kind of uh, deal with it and then learn from it and then move on, you know, but it's about not bearing the bad news either. I guess, yeah, I guess like to break it down in a little bit more detail or depth is uh, like in sports, right, right? Like you're playing baseball or basketball and you miss a shot. It's just like, all right, get back on defense and shoot it again. Right? Yeah. It's, an, it's a new game today, you know, like it's uh, it's a new shot clock. <laughs> do you think that anyone can adopt that mindset or do you think that everyone can and should everyone or yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, there's nothing kind of like special about us in, in the team that have done that, you know, like it's just that it's just something that you teach yourself, right? Like it's a mental exercise of stepping <laughs> out of it. And then also it's just kind of like, it's also like the discipline that you have in a team. It's like, it's tempting because people don't want the bad news to wear you down. But if you don't address it, then it kind of does implicitly anyway, right? You just stay. We're doing this together, right? It's a startup. We didn't say we had all the answers to begin with. Like we're kind of making it up on the, on the go anyway. We're doing our best. And so, so you just got to kind of um, deal with it really transparently. I think that it's healthy for anybody to do that, like in personal life and business. That goes kind of like the cap raising conversation we had earlier. How do you uh-huh. take all those no's? Well, you've got to find a way to refresh yourself, refresh your creativity. For sure. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, uh, we're going to be putting that in the book and, uh, I don't know, put your name next to it or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And, uh, the, the creativity part is just something we talked about almost the whole podcast. Like it just keeps coming up, right? Like you right. have a fresh mind to be creative. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I guess like my, We'll try to keep it like next five, 10 minutes, but uh, I guess like my impression of like tech and Silicon Valley and just, I don't know, watching CEOs on TV and meeting a bunch, like when I was a VC or like having a few friends too that are CEOs and they're doing tech stuff or just in the industry in general is just like, um, they, I don't know, like they, they play things off and like they try to be right all the time and like, yeah, yeah, just go back to, into the conversation of like, that's not actually how it works. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so it's pretty, yeah, odd. that's it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty common, right? Like, and, and depending on the audience and depending on the scenario, you know, like it's, you know, this is talking to your team or this is maybe having a, a like a candid conversation like we're having about what the startup experience is, you know, uh, for founders. Um, and then um, other times, you know, you've got to 
tell the vision and, and get everybody excited, right? Like you gotta, yeah. <laughs> you gotta show where the, the company and the industry is headed as well. So it's always that balancing act as a founder. <laughs> yeah, man, I, th- I think that was about it um, for the show. Um, unless, I don't know, you had like a new topic or figure out what no, I, no, no, that, I that's that, To wrap it up, like, um, what was the right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just any general resources, books, inspiration, where you get inspiration that you want to share to the audience and also where can the audience find you and about your company? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So our company is called Blue Dot. My name's Emil Davitian. Um, Blue Dot, uh, .io is our website. Um, also kind of Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. cetera. Um, are they good places to go? But our website's got a ton of information. Um, I think that like for other founders, um, there is a whole bunch of resources, but one of the best one is best ones is to uh, really meet as many other founders as you can and have this type of kind of more candid conversation, right? Cause it's funny, like when you get like two founders that meet each other, so say there's like a networking event and you meet each other and this guy, you're having a beer. And as soon as the two founders meet, they start to trading war stories and like, it's like a therapy session. And so that's probably the, the best one. There's, there's a ton of books that are out there that I'm sure a lot of people could find. But for me, those types of um, uh, either day-to-day founders that are maybe like a year or two ahead of you. So they've got really relevant experience that they've just gone through it and they can give you really practical advice. Or maybe some of the older um, uh, men and women who have done it before and you're just like soaking up as much as advice as you can. You know, just all ears and just ask a ton of questions. That's helped me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that about uh, that does it for the podcast. Um, thanks so much, man. I mean, great to catch up, and I think you got a lot of wisdom that we don't always kind of find. And it was great to you know chat about that stuff in general. And, you know, very valuable and really helpful. Well, awesome, man. Great to be here, man. Thanks for the. That does it for another episode of Sir Mindset's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Um, please do follow our book writing journey at startupmindsets.substack.com. Uh, we're working on putting our Instagram and our social media all together. Um, we are kind of slacking on that, so apologies on my end. And also, um, yeah, we're working on uh, getting the website up to speed and just so many good things happening here. Uh, the book is at 70% done. Um, and yeah, we're going to make this final push. Uh, I think, you know, just hearing Emil's story and, you know, all the founders and, uh, people in, you know, that are doing big things in technology and innovation has just truly inspired me to, uh, just keep this thing going. And I think that, you know, if you're a listener and you found value in this, uh, we're really happy for you and, you know, we'd love to, you know, help support, maybe just have like a 10 minute conversation on, uh, how we could help your idea, uh, get, you know, a little bit better or like anything really that, that we could add value in. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this pandemic's, uh, taking a toll on all of us, but uh, I think, you know, the light is at the tunnel here and, uh, yeah, looking forward to becoming book authors and, uh, you know, eventually getting this community, um, all together. And that's all I got to say. So peace.